Welcome to the latest Club Soda podcast. Um, it's a very exciting episode today. We have Sheru Azadi here and I brought Drew Yeager, my co-founder in, to help with the interview because Sheru has got so much to tell us. Some of you may know her book, The Kindness Method, and her latest book, The Last Diet. Both of them are applicable for anything you want to do with behaviour change, and so we're going to unpick those today. But first of all, I wanted to thank our sponsors, which is uh, this month, Lucky Saint, the 0.5% superior unfiltered lager. And for those of you who've been listening, we all tell you a little bit about what, wh- why this drink is important to us at Club Soda. And I have to tell you that I never drank beer when I was drinking alcohol. I'd have avoided it like the plague. And one of my great discoveries in changing my drinking is that I, I'm beginning to grow an appreciation for beer because you can do that. You can learn to like something and appreciate something. And particularly because I find it sippable and also great with food and also no sugar and low in calories. So we're really pleased that Lucky Saint are sponsoring this today because they've been great supporters of us. They're also giving all our listeners £5 off their next order. Just enter the code CLUBSODA5, spell out the five, F-I-V-E, and then you can go and find that on luckysaint.co. So that's the bit for our sponsors. I'm going to ask just an opening question, Sheree, because um, I know you and I know how amazing you are and the work that you've done in this space. But how did you ever get involved with helping people change their drinking? I hiya. Um, uh, I I when I finished uni, I studied psychology. I, f- I finished uni, and the first placement that I got as an assistant psychologist was in an NHS substance misuse service, and they were mainly helping people um, clinically with opiate addictions and alcohol addictions. And so I learned a lot there on the ground in terms of what what it looks like when someone is physically addicted to alcohol. Um, And then I just kind of moved up the ranks in different capacities, worked in criminal justice, um, worked in drug addiction um, as a as a consultant. And then um, I started delivering workshops at the School of Life. And I did these workshops that were based on the tools I was learning in addiction treatment. But of course, a lot of those tools are based in abstinence and um, completely abstinent recovery, 12 step recovery, etc., And I drew out what I felt would be applicable to the general population. And I was using it on myself as well. I was using a lot of the same exercises around self-awareness and self-compassion and mapping and all sorts of things. And then I, um, yeah, I went to the School of Life and I pitched them this workshop and I said, no one needs to tell me what they're here, what habit they're here to change. And I'm going to take them through a series of exercises. And by the end, they'll have a plan of change. And I guess there, what I realized is, the more people engage with me afterwards and started speaking to me, the more and more I realized that a lot of these people are trying to drink differently and not necessarily stop drinking at all. For some people, that was the ambition. But for a lot of people, is that I, I want to drink differently. Um, and the journalist who I'd met a couple of times in the, in the past found out that I was doing this and she called me and said, can you help me to drink differently? So she and I had some conversations um, in a cafe and I gave her some different tools and things that I'd found that helped me and my clients in substance misuse and didn't think anything of it really. And then one morning I woke up and she'd written an article about how much I had helped her. Um, and so I sort of quit my job 
And long story short, ended up writing two books about behavioral change. I mean, I think that's I think that's brilliant. I love what you what you say about um, you know people who want to drink differently. You know, certainly we find that in the club soda community, there are people who start this journey because they want to drink mindfully. They want to you know cut out the problematic areas of drinking for themselves, um, but actually feel like alcohol has a place in their lives. Um, and the other thing which I uh, really struck me in what you said is how changing your drinking isn't so wildly different from any other type of change that you might go through. You know. I think particularly if you are stuck and you're struggling um, with alcohol, um, it can feel so exceptional and so unusual that you think that nobody else is going to have anything to say which can impact you or help you. So it's actually really refreshing to hear it's not that different to everything else. Thank you. Well, I think one thing which is definitely worth saying, and it would be short-sighted of me not to, is that alcohol does lower your resolve. So when I try to help people to change their habits, invariably, you know, you'll be following some sort of plan. And alcohol as a drug is very good at making you not care about your plans. Yeah. So <laughs> that as a quality, say if you compared it to sugar, helping someone to reduce their sugar intake, don't get me wrong, I'm not underestimating the impact that sh sugar can have on you physiologically. But in terms of the impact it has on how much you care about following through the plan that the habits lady gave you, <laughs> I think a couple of glasses of wine habits lady doesn't matter. And that's that's one of the great things about drinking, right? That's, what's, that's one of the reasons we turn to alcohol so often. But, you know, mm -hmm. I really think that even if you don't find yourself with a problematic relationship with alcohol, now more than ever, people are noticing that it's on higher... Um, rotation, heavier rotation. If it's, say, a coping strategy for stress, if you want to drink for the rest of your life, the likelihood is at some point you're going to need to think about how you drink, why you drink, under what circumstances you want to be drinking. And in that sense, I see it, I, I, do, I do see it as the same as being um, like any other habit. And that's where I've been able to draw parallels between my relationship with food, my previously very abusive relationship with a substance that I have to consume every day. Now, I'm not saying by any means anyone has to drink, <laughs> of course. And I see people thriving when they don't. But I don't want them to think that that's the only option and feeling disempowered otherwise. Do you find, because I think one of the things that I find interesting is people's starting point. So often people want to drink less, but they also want to drink less because they couldn't imagine doing certain events or certain activities without drinking when really they need to learn to do those activities without drinking before they can really get some form of control so sometimes there's still a barrier in the way on where where the importance that we place on alcohol through some certain occasions which I guess you don't get in the same way with food no, I agree with you. And, you know, because it is efficient at doing those things, we do feel less inhibited. You know, the, there isn't any point only demonizing it and saying that it doesn't do those things for us. What I would say, though, is I think it robs us of the opportunity to demonstrate to ourselves that, look, there may have been a time when alcohol was a solution to something. It was a social lubricant. It gave you confidence, whatever else. It's most likely that at this stage or a perceived confidence, I should say, but it's it's. It's most likely that at this stage in adulthood, you've demonstrated your capacity to have interesting conversations, to have a really nice time, to enjoy your company, and you just haven't given yourself a chance to experiment with it. But I think a lot of the time people think it's such a daunting prospect to think, okay, well, so I'm never going to socialize with alcohol again. 
And of course, that doesn't do great things for cortisol levels either, <laughs> you know, that you might want to regulate with some boost. So I think it's about treating a lot of these things first and foremost as saying, I'm doing this just to show myself that I can. And then I'll reassess after I've done it a few times in a row. I think that's a lot less daunting. And I think you're right in that we need to acknowledge that alcohol is associated with so many different things. And that starts really quite young. Mm-hmm. I think we give it too much credit. And I think that that's a nice reframe in that we can say, actually, am I giving alcohol this credit? Like, or would my body just self-regulate if I give, gave it a chance? Yeah. I, it, I think isn't that all about giving ourselves more choices as well? You know, if you if you want a moment of relaxation at the end of the day, you want to mark the transition to the weekend, you want to connect with your friends, you want to have a laugh, all of those things. You know, I, I, I find myself saying often, there is nothing that alcohol gives you that you can't achieve some other way. You know, and whether you write alcohol out of the picture completely or whether you want to include alcohol in your life in moderation, finding other ways to achieve the states that you want, whether that's relaxation or happiness or detachment or euphoria or whatever it is you know find other ways you know it's just about giving yourself more choices absolutely alcohol is not a problem it's a solution right so let's have Mm. a think about what problem it's solving or once solved and see what else could solve that problem or you know what what in addition to alcohol could be solving that problem um and also of course there's the other angle of could you be making that problem less over a problem is that is that more of a mission too can i be rather than looking at ways to remedy stress and putting my focus there can i be looking at ways to reduce my experience of stress of course that also helps yeah and um the one thing i'm always very taken with and and you know it didn't and, and when i finally managed to give up drinking it was when i decided to stop just saying the words and actually putting some work in and so now I feel like I've become the most boring person in the world by telling people planning works in changing your drinking. And what I was really struck by in the kindness method book is that you have lots of ways for people to plan um, all sorts of things that will help them engage with their journey. Do you want to talk a little bit about what those are? Because, you know, I'm very keen on on some of those in terms of looking at the future you. And, and just to, as a full disclosure, I was using those at the start of the year to try and moderate work. Hasn't gone oh. quite so well, but the, the strategies. How's, are that, how's that working out for you, Laura? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. Pandemic oh. makes it difficult to do anything but work. But you know, do you want to talk a bit about those exercises and why they work? Why doing the work works? I'm first of all, I'm really flattered by that. Thank you. Um, I think doing the work. Okay, so I think that when we ch- when we want to change a behaviour, we very often we're fed up. And we think that desire and knowledge of how to change is sufficient. So I know what I need to do and things have got really, really bad. So I'm going to do this as of tomorrow. This is usually the Sunday night conversation we're having with ourselves. So then Monday morning rolls around and we've, re- and we've realized that actually we, there are an enormous internal and external forces working against us. Whether it's the neural pathways we've already laid down, whether it's the annoying people, whether it's that we didn't anticipate the rain, we didn't. And very importantly, we don't anticipate that our motivation will 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 waver wildly. Um, And so one thing I think is really important is these visual reminders of why you're even doing this in the first place. And even if it's a list of all the negatives of your behaviors, um, a letter you've written to yourself about why you're doing this, uh, what you're excited to gain in terms of moving towards things, a list of your strengths and achievements for those moments where you're having the conversation of, I can't do this, I'm, I'm too weak. So you have something to look at 
that can make you think, oh, actually, if I could do all this, then I can absolutely ride this, ride this craving. And most importantly, any reminder possible to be aware of your triggers and to create that, that space between trigger and response to create a space between wanting to do something and actually doing it. And so often just seeing something written down in your own handwriting, a letter to yourself, a list of your strengths, um, even something that sort of preempted that this was going to happen. I knew I'd be tested by this. This is the test I've been waiting for in order to prove to myself that I'm the sort of person who can go to the pub and not drink. Well, what do I need to do? I need to do that 15, 20 times in a row. So that's the mission that I'm on. So anything you can do to formalize that mission and externalize it is fantastic, especially if, and we also have this sort of euphoric recall that we talk about in addiction a lot, where you move away from the negatives, things start improving a little bit, and you start telling yourself you were making too big a deal of it in the first place, and you were being dramatic. And then invariably, you find yourself in the same position again, and the cycle continues. So I think just compassionately, curiously, acknowledging that you're trying to do something difficult. Um, and having those tools written, whatever they are, in your own words, so that in those moments where you, when you find it difficult, and you will find it difficult, behavioral change is difficult, you're able to rely on yourself more than your plan. You're able to make a decision on the spot that you'll be glad you made tomorrow, even if you hadn't anticipated the test that is in front of you. And I think that's very empowering, and that's a transferable, I think that's a transferable skill. And I think there are two things that are quite important that I draw out from some of that. One is, um, well, one of the really important ones is to focus on some of the assets you've got. And you talk about that because we're always, and particularly if you've been drinking, I think you're full of a lot of guilt and shame. And so you start from a position of hating so much about yourself. Oh, I'm, I'm, I can't do this and I'm out of control and I'm, I'm an angry, horrible person. And we forget all of the, the good things about ourselves. And, and those good things are important to us being able to, um, to actually move on and change our behavior because we need them to help us get there, right? Yeah, I think um, looking at what's good about our behaviors is actually it gives us way more insight. If I had a room of people now and they were all concerned about their drinking and I said, hey, everyone, tell me what's, neg- what's bad about drinking. They'd all tell me the same thing. What's good about drinking? Then everyone's got a very unique story, and the way that they're drinking and why they're drinking, or it all you realize that it might still be serving them. It might be doing a job it didn't do previously. It might have done a job, and the be- this is the most beautiful one. The easiest person to help in my profession is a person who hasn't realized that it did a job, and now the job's done, and they're just continuing to, to medicate despite the fact that they're done. You know, that's so wonderful because then that's just basic habit change. That's basic. Repeat something every day until and notice that you come out unscathed until it's a new automatic behavior. But, yeah, I think focusing on what's right about our behaviors and what's right about us is a far better um, approach than what we tend to do, which is beat ourselves up, say horrible things about ourselves, think that we're the worst um, and then think that focusing on just the bad stuff will um will suffice and should suffice. But then we beat ourselves up because we're like, even though I know all the bad stuff, I'm still doing this. God, I must be so bad. And then aside from that, if you're using alcohol as a comfort, as a coping strategy for things like stress and anxiety, what you don't want is to be beating yourself up all day and need relief from that. So I just don't think there's any value in not being nice to yourself. Mm -hmm. 
mm. or not being compassionate or understanding about your habits the way you would if you were speaking to, say, a child. Curiosity. Why Why is this child behaving this way? It doesn't want to be. So let's try and work this out. That doesn't mean you give the child whatever it wants, whenever it wants, by the way. People say to me, well, so how does it marry up that you're saying be kind to yourself and you're also saying well, do this difficult thing where you deprive yourself? And I think the the answer lies in realizing that the advice that we give other pe- our loved ones is not the easy advice. It's the advice that's in their best interest long term. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about that a little because I think, you know, we talk about kindness in our courses. We highlight kindness along with honesty and bravery as really kind of core attitudes that can support you to change. Um, and we encourage people to find opportunities to practice those but particularly when it comes to kindness and being kind to ourselves i think a you know we live in a culture which has commercialized self-care so that we imagine that being kind to ourselves is about buying a scented candle and a yoga pair of yoga pants and we forget it's about talking nicely about ourselves for once but i think also sometimes people interpret kindness as letting ourselves off the hook um, and I, I wonder if you have you got have you got a model in in your world about if we're going to enact the value of kindness, what that really looks like? What are the hallmarks of of kindness in your world? I think kindness is taking um, the same advice you would give a loved one. Kindness is making the choice you're least likely to regret. Um, kindness is behaving uh, when no one's watching as if, you know, respecting the way that you behave and putting um, value on the way you treat yourself, regardless of who's watching. Whenever people ask me, what's the criteria for kindness? This is what I tend to say. And also sometimes when people are caught off guard and they're like, I don't know what the kind decision is. I, I, you know, I tell them, think about the wisest person, you know, what do you think they would tell you to do? And usually it's the difficult decision. Um, but it is the one that's in their best interest tomorrow. That's how Drew said me to buy a van. <laughs> 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 that, something about that another day. Um, I, I I wanted to, to draw back because you talked a bit about Monday mornings, and I know you talk about that quite a lot in the last diet book about how you can create that sense of urgency, but also follow it through. And I guess when changing drinking, people always talk about day ones. I guess it's a very it's a very much a language of changing drinking, isn't it? It's not so much the same for um, eat, for food, but that idea that people feel a constant failure because they get to often, unlike a diet, it's when they get to a Thursday or Friday night where they begin to, uh, their resolve goes and, they, and then they feel ashamed and sad and angry with themselves. How do you begin to recover from from feeling like you failed? How do you begin to pick up and and help create that sense of urgency in you? I think a lot of people, first of all, have this all or nothing mentality, right? Either I've done it perfectly or there isn't any point. It's worth also remembering that if you decided you weren't going to drink anything and then you ended up having one drink, um, it's the conversation you have with yourself that dictates what happens next. You know, there's this Miles Davis quote that I always go back to, which is like, it isn't the wrong note you play that this is not verbatim, by the way, something along the lines of it isn't the wrong note you play that messes up the piece. It's the the note you play straight afterwards. And there's something incredibly empowering about knowing that you can talk yourself back out of something. So first of all, just because you've had a deviation or a lapse doesn't mean that it then has to 
include um, turn into an all or nothing, spiraling, I'm so bad, etc. It could be reframed as you practicing the skill of having one drink. <laughs> you know, there is an opportunity there. The other thing I would say also is that um, make after when you find yourself thinking, why did I do that? I wish I hadn't done that. What you want is the next choice you make to be a kind one. Just commit to that. Just commit to saying the next choice I make is one that's aligned with me being on track and see what happens. Because sometimes that all or nothing thinking at the beginning can work in our favor in that sense. Because then you're like, well, I don't want to ruin my new good streak. Um, And again, I think also think about the advice you'd give someone else if they came to you and they said, look, I want to do Monday through Saturday, but I only manage Monday through Thursday. Um, And it's Friday now. So obviously I just have to drink everything and beat myself up about it. And obviously that's the only option, right? You would be like, no, no, it isn't. You could just treat this as a blip. Um, No one's forcing you to do anything. You're amazing to have got through Monday to Wednesday anyway. That's progress, not perfection. This is so such a different narrative to the way that we talk to ourselves when we fall off track with things. Um, And again, just practice when you hear yourself being horrible to yourself. I sometimes I say it aloud to give it some real weight. And I'll be like, seriously, you think this is what you deserve for having a go at something? Like you would never speak to someone else like this. And aside from the fact that we don't deserve to be spoken to that way, it is completely unhelpful when it comes to reining in spiraling behavior and nonsensical behavior that we would never recommend anyone else engaged in. Not only if they were not, not only if they were in the pursuit of a particular goal to do with drinking, for example, but if they were just in the pursuit of not being bullied all day for, um, uh, for understandable, for understandably finding it hard to change. I think this is, this is the other thing we need to acknowledge that change is really hard. I can't bear it when these, these, (laughs) <laughs> when some people who work in well-being every now and then I'll get an ad come up or something they'll be like it's easy you've got everything you need you've got this you've got that you've got everything S- aside from the fact that it's a lot of it's very ableist and entitled and privileged and that's for a different soapbox it's also not true building behaviors is really hard um and I think we're far better off and all these, you know, hard and fast rules. This is how many days it takes to change this behavior. This is how many, I'm sorry, if your behavior is picking more flowers every day or not injecting opioids into your groin, we shouldn't be grouping these behaviors together as if like you could change habits. In the same- <laughs> sorry, I'm right? with laughter. <laughs> yeah, that is true. It is so yeah. true. And it's like, Listen, I'm sure there's so much good research on behavioral science. There are so many people who are so much more qualified than I am. My God, I cannot even begin to tell you. And it's so um, interesting and we should read up on it. And it's academic and wonderful. But every day you have to get up and repeat a new behavior in the real world. And it's hard. And you're far better off focusing on your capacity to do difficult things than thinking that you're going to create a plan that's going to create the path of least resistance for you every day. Unless you're on an island. I don't, yeah. I don't see that being realistic. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I really love as well. You know, the when people get that shift in perspective that they can see the good that they're doing. You know, even if things aren't always going to plan. I had a conversation with somebody recently who, um, you know, they they ardently want to live alcohol free. They recognise the damage that the drinking is doing to them, um, but they're not always making it. But they were able to step back and say, actually, compared to where I was, I'm alcohol free ninety percent of the time. 
And that is an amazing achievement. You know, when you put it that way, mm-hmm. you know, you stop focusing on the 10%, which isn't going to plan. You know, you focus on you are doing an extraordinary thing for yourself. And that's the thing to be celebrated, you know, not to castigate yourself for the bit which doesn't work yet. I completely agree with you. You know, I had a similar thing recently where I, you know, I used to suffer terribly with anxiety and codependent behaviors. I would go to codependency support groups. I was always looking for ways to remedy my anxiety, some of them smart, some of them very not. And over time and through the therapy and through the tools that I'm not trying to plug my own tools, but I only sell what I believe in, you know, in that sense. But no, go ahead and go ahead and go ahead and plug them. We wouldn't invite you on no, you know incredible and had something to offer to our community. So oh, please do. Thank you. I mean, but they're not mine. I mean, they're mine in that I've put them together. But my my whole thing is that these are not things that people didn't know. These are supposed to be resources that are available to us. They're the basics of behavior change, the basis of CBT and mindfulness and all this stuff that people in addiction and addiction recovery have always known and been using for free. I used to really struggle with anxiety. Um, And through various tools that I've used from my book and counseling and various other things, I've it's and breath work and meditation, all the things we do to help ourselves. It's helped enormously. I would say on average, I was anxious when I would get a certain type of email that didn't say wasn't totally friendly, or I thought people were talking about me, or I thought there were just all sorts of things that made me anxious, any conflict. And a couple of weeks ago, I had a half a day where I just felt really, really anxious and I couldn't put my finger on what it was and I couldn't give it a story. And instead of feeling like I'd initially, I felt like, oh God, it's come back. Oh no, it's back. And then I thought, hold on, Sheru, you've had half a day and you know it will pass and you know how to deal with it. Three years ago, this was your everyday reality. This is how you lived. This is what you called normal. That's sometimes, and it's a dangerous game to play, so don't do it on purpose. But sometimes those little lapses are a good reminder of what we're not dealing with every day anymore. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think uh, I was very much taken with the fact that we need to speak to ourselves kindly. And if we think about it, Club Soda is built on the fact that we only use the positive behavior change tools because, you know, there are lots of negative behavior change tools out there. There are things about continually telling you the consequences and um, fining you. Fining is a is a perfect state um, led example of how to change behavior. And today they were talking on the news about trying to talk more about the positives of people keeping to the COVID rules because they're so busy talking about the negatives that it gives everyone the, a get out of jail free card in some ways to, to, to just carry on as they were rather than talking about the positive uh, examples of people keeping to rules. And I think, I guess that's where connecting with other people comes into play because you can then begin to pull on those positive role models, which I think are really strong. Do you have any thoughts about how people, and particularly right now when getting out and about is very difficult, how pulling on on positive role models, positive behavior change techniques can really help people? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think ultimately doing difficult things is easier when we feel good when we feel supported, when we feel worthy. I don't believe that, you know, when we're talking about things like impulse control, we're talking about things that take uh, resilience, urge surfing. These are things that are hard to do, especially in the initial stages of change. And I do not believe that coming from a place, coming from empty 
is going to put you in a good position aside from all the kindness stuff. I just don't think that if you're trying to do something difficult, if you're trying to push through a craving, if you're trying to, um, if you're trying to stick to a plan that you know is in your best interest, but at the beginning there's, there's friction, there's pushback internally, externally. I think, yeah, you, it's the more positive, the more positivity you can consume from every angle, the better, the better yeah. you feel. And I think that's, for me, that's really crucial because there are many behavior change techniques you can use. And the ones that are all positive based are the, the ones that I think, and I think I've noticed from our community are the strongest and they're all the ones that are the kindest. And so we shouldn't, you know, read those books that tell us that we should be hard on ourselves and wait a minute, I've got in here, do five minutes of ab exercises every time I want to, do, to eat sugar, but we should actually pull on, on some of the really positive, friendly and kind ones. And that's okay too. Absolutely. Well, look, look at the example you just said, right? I should, I should do ab exercises every time I want to eat sugar. <laughs> well any equivalent to that no one's saying you shouldn't do that right especially if you've identified they do the same thing let's say for example you identified that you that you eat sugar to punctuate the end of finishing something and actually you'd quite like to replace that that habit and they serve the same purpose because you want to punctuate it with a different behavior what's to say that you can't do both yeah. what's to say you can't do one and then see if you still want to do the other one these hard and fast rules that don't empower us to create bespoke plans, I think, um, alienate a lot of people. Like I always say, do the mind maps. If you can't do a mind map, do it on your phone, dictate it, say it aloud, write it on your napkin, write it on your face. I don't care. Just do something. And I think very often with these books, right, I, I read these self-help books and I want to be like those people. I want to get up at dawn. I want to do a four hour day. Uh, you know, I want to make a shrine and I'm just not that person. And so it would be such a shame if I didn't take the bits of that approach that applied to me and felt like I had the aut autonomy to have it um, fit into the landscape of my life as opposed to the other way around. And if we don't do that, then we also sometimes we think it's our fault when these things don't work. Um, yeah. And we beat ourselves up about it. And of course, you want to bring it back to drinking. What do a lot of people do when they want to get rid of that internal voice that makes them feel crap? Drink. So, yeah, definitely. So things that work for other people aren't necessarily kind for you. <laughs> absolutely. What's kind for you is what helps you get to your goal in the long term and stay there. And what and a bit provided you're not hurting anyone or yourself. But I would say to some extent, it's also about doing the things to maintain a goal straight away as opposed to thinking that there's going to be this activation phase and then th then the momentum is going to create this maintenance phase when you're a whole other person think you know if i waved a magic wand whether it's food or booze or whatever i waved a magic wand and you, tomorrow you everything was different and you'd gone through the difficult bit how would you stay changed what would you require what kind of support would you require what would the landscape of your life need to look like in order to be hospitable to accommodate this new habit long-term without you having to graft, start doing that. The white knuckling is a false economy. I couldn't agree more. Um, can we talk a bit about food very specifically? Um, because it's an issue that comes up in um, the community, particularly right now, particularly for people who are, you know, 
I guess there's a couple of reasons it comes up. One is people are coming into dry January and that's part of a broader health kick that they're on. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to run a marathon by July. You know, we all get that narrative. But also one of the other reasons that foods comes up the agenda is particularly for people who've been drinking every day and who've stopped drinking, suddenly find themselves experience massive sugar cravings, don't know how to cope with them, feel like they're, you know, I might be making positive steps in terms of my drinking but my diet has gone to shit what on earth do i do to deal with all of this so can we can we talk very specifically about food and how we might apply some of the principles you've been talking about to thinking about the ways in which we nourish ourselves and keep ourselves well what what are your kind of top tips for thinking about that subject absolutely i think well in the first instance don't beat yourself up about it one of the first things you hear about when people go to inpatient um inpatient detoxes and uh, long-term rehab is that they come out and they're like I've put on an enormous amount of weight and all I do is eat all day (laughs) and it's actually a wonderful celebration of the fact that they're taking care of themselves um, and nourishing themselves differently Uh, the other thing is remember that when you know I was just saying how when you look at the way that a behavior serves you it's possible for example you were comfort drinking and now you're comfort eating and your need for comfort is very valid so it's understandable. And I think people are very quick to tell themselves they've got addictive personalities and things like that before they've actually acknowledged that it's the very often it's the um, it's because they haven't looked at what that behavior was doing for them, how it was serving them. And they thought that just taking it away would make them would 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 be enough. And it's like, no, you have to treat it like a friendship. You know, this is this has been your friend. It has helped you to do certain things. And now you're saying goodbye to this friend. Um, then it's going to be hard and it's going to put up a fight and there's going to be a gap where it was. And you're going to want to fill it, expect to want to fill it. And it's understandable that you'd want another thing that makes you feel good. Um, I think all of these things can be seen as a an invitation to check in with how you treat your body in general. You know, you you want to first look at booze, fine. Then then look at food. Then look at water. Then look at exercise. Then look at fresh air. Then look at music. Then look at joy. Then look at you know whatever it is. Your behaviors that you want to change, you'll become. I think you'll become more adaptable and able to change behaviors with more ease, whether it's professional or personal, throughout your life, which we will have to. If your focus is more on opportunities to make yourself feel nourished and worthy, and then as a byproduct, habit change becomes a lot easier. And with food, I think that's certainly the case. You know, a lot of people, it can help to just think, okay, for the next week, everything I put in my body is going to be based on what I would want my child to consume. And notice the gap between the choices you make, because actually you end up doing things that you wouldn't have thought. It isn't, it, it isn't about food and exercise. It starts becoming about whether you take the stairs, whether you're more boundaried, whether you're drinking enough water, whether you've had any fruit that day, And it becomes a lot more about the sort of person you want to be than stopping that bad thing and saying you're bad. Yeah, I think that's I think that's so helpful. And I think particularly, you know, and I get it if you've been really kind of if you've been in the wars with alcohol, you know, and you're and you're trying to rid yourself of it from your life, then actually that can turn into a denial of the need for it in the first place. But I think it's really important to remember that you were, you know, the the need that you had that was driving some of your 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 drinking that doesn't go away with the alcohol it's still there it still needs to be met and addressed and actually i i you know going back to the previous conversation you know thinking about what would life be like if i had got all of this fixed and how would i keep myself healthy and well and how would i keep myself on track 
part of that is I will have worked out how to meet that need for comfort in myself so that I don't need to drink or to overeat. I will I will know how to do that. And that's the bit to kind of to grasp right at the beginning, isn't it? To go, okay, it, what's the what's what is it that alcohol is giving me? Aside from the fact, you know, it has real physical effects on me, but what is it that I'm what am I using it for? What's it what's it giving me? And then how can I address that? That will be kind of a key to unlocking many things, I think. And then I just wanted to ask one last question, actually, because we're about to come up to that Monday that everyone calls Blue Monday, though I think probably this year that timetable's been slightly thrown out. I've heard everything. I had a funny <laughs> feeling. But, um, but that idea that you, you've done several weeks of um, alcohol-free in January and you're probably quite euphoric about the success you've had and how you feel, and now it's going to begin to feel a little bit hard. How do people begin to do, deal with those euphoric feelings and begin to keep feeling motivated? I think it's about focusing on what you're moving towards as opposed to what you've moved away from, because it's likely that the neg- those, those initial negatives have gone away. You know, the waking up feeling groggy, the fogginess, the uh, perhaps a bit of the fear in the morning, whatever it is that people are getting rid of, the impact it has on your food choices and your connections with other people, et cetera. Um, it, it's, I think it's worth thinking, okay, if I carry on like this for another however long, what benefits am I going to see then? What of the positives are going to become more positive and get built on? What can be really helpful is doing a hypothetical change exercise. So saying, okay, in six months time, if I continue down this path, how are the different aspects of my life going to be positively impacted by it? And if I don't, what's what, what are things likely to look like? And what you'll probably find is they're likely to lapse back into old patterns. And then before you know it, you're having to do the dry January again. I don't mean to be a downer, but that's unfortunately what happens when we don't think about how we're going to re-enter this and how we're going to maintain momentum. Um, and that's for the people who want to continue not drinking. The people who want to re-enter drinking, I highly, highly recommend that you remember that you have not created a new way. Learning not to drink does not teach you to drink differently. It's very helpful and it's a good break and it's better to do than not to do for all sorts of self-esteem reasons and health reasons and that are fantastic. But we can become really disillusioned and really demoralized when we think that because we've stopped doing something altogether, we've learned how to do it differently. Um, and then people think, oh, well, what was the point of that? And then all the all or nothing thinking comes again and you don't give yourself the credit you so deserve for the effort that you've put in. Just you haven't acknowledged that you're talking about two very different skills. Um, so I would say that. And just, and just remember to keep checking in. This is not uh, a, a sort of weakness on your part. You're just using alcohol right now as the example of sort of the first habit you're going to try kindness on. And then after that, extend it to other things. This isn't about demonizing alcohol. It's about seeing a really good opportunity to show yourself how capable you are before you move on to the next thing to show yourself how capable you are in the next thing. Absolutely. And I, I sort of feel that myself. So I'm eight and a half years alcohol free, but that, that showed me that I was capable of change and change continues to happen. So not always perfectly, but it's happening and it takes time. 
Sheru, thank you so much for your time today. Your books, which are The Kindness Method and The Last Diet, are available in all the bookshops and in Amazon on Kindle and all of that sort of stuff. And, and, and they're so good. Just, just oh. do read them, buy them, absorb them, do the exercises, do the work. Honestly, we, we invite Sheru to take part in this because we think she is ace and we would love for you to um, get involved in, in her world and her work. So please, please do that. And what's your website and, and social handle, Shrew, so people can find you in other places? Just Shrew Azadi. Everywhere. Just put Everywhere. into anything and that will be me. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by Club Soda. You can find out more about what we do on joinclubsoda.com and on our social handles at joinclubsoda.com.